Hey guys, Jim Cox, Devon Financial Partners, Park Avenue Securities, and I'm here today with an interview with Tapani Vuri. Um, he's the manager of the Maui Ocean Center, and I wanted to talk to him today about kind of the connection between climate change and the oceans and kind of talk about some of the work that he does and some of the connections that see he, he sees. So, Tapani, thanks for taking the time to chat. Yeah, thank you, James. I really appreciate your invitation and uh, appreciate all your listeners. So, thank you very much. Awesome. So, uh, Tapani, tell me a little bit about, like, your background. Um, how did you, how long has the Maui Ocean Center been around? Like, what's the work that you do and, and how did you come about doing it? Well, first of all, uh, I'm originally from Finland, as you can probably tell from my heavy accent. Uh, I came to the United States uh, in early uh, 80s. Uh, after my military service, everyone, everyone in Finland has to serve their military service. So came to study in the university, graduated from UCLA back in 87. Um, so I've been around. Uh, I started with Maui Ocean Center back in 2002, actually, in a uh, retail director capacity. <clears throat> so... I've been quite a long time with my Ocean Center. I've uh, taken on other responsibilities um, related to running an aquarium. And uh, back in September 2015, I was offered a general manager position. And uh, basically, I told the uh, corporate, um, uh, by the way, we are uh, under a umbrella organization called uh, Coral World International. It's uh, based out of Tel Aviv, out of Israel, and we have sister aquariums, one in Eilat on the Red Sea, one in Perth, Australia, and then uh, in 2007, we opened one in Palma de Mallorca in Spain. I was fortunate enough to be part of the opening team, and it was very exciting, uh, and it's actually a beautiful aquarium if anyone of your listeners has, to, has a chance to go to Spain or specifically in Palma, uh, make sure you visit that aquarium. And uh, we are looking actually to open one in Berlin, Germany, which uh, we are really excited about because Germans, as I'm sure many of you know, is very environmentally uh, advanced. Uh, they really pay attention to environmental issues. And uh, actually the uh, city of Berlin already approved the land uh, development and uh, rehabilitation uh, process uh, <clears throat> that our aquarium is part of. And part of the conditions that they allowed us actually uh, come in and uh, make this change is that uh, we are going to be actually rehabilitating um, there's actually Amse, you know in German there's small area water area it's actually in Berlin uh, you know by the uh, ring uh, number three there and uh, that was a fairly industrialized area back in the uh, East German days and uh, so the lake that uh, the aquarium will be uh, sitting on uh, is there is fair amount of pollution so Part of the condition for us to get in there was actually to uh, rehabilitate that area as well. So, in essence, uh, it's a larger, uh, larger operation. But here in Maui Ocean Center, of course, uh, it's a Hawaii-based uh, corporation. So, uh, we are very unique um, um, property or uh, operation in the sense uh, in the aquarium world uh, uh, that you know our operating model is actually we have an open water system. So. Most of the aquariums uh, people see, uh, they are operating on a closed water system. So uh, we pay close attention what's happening in the ocean. Uh, we actually pump uh, uh, seawater from uh, roughly
roughly around 300 yards out of the Malaya Bay. There's a breakwater there in the harbor, and uh, we have different filtration uh, uh, capabilities that uh, we actually clean the water and uh, then we discharge it back into the uh, Malaya Harbor. Uh, and we've actually done a scientific study now. We have an environmental team that I hired uh, when I came on board. Uh, and incidentally, one of, you know, we have two directors, one uh, who is uh, director of technical affairs, Avi Kahana, and he was involved with the Deepwater Horizon incident when that happened. And then Robin Knox, who is uh, more of a regulatory expert. Uh, he was actually a NIPTIS permit writer for the state of Louisiana for 30 years. So uh, we have a team of experts here that um, we've done a lot of work and actually <clears throat> that work continues. Um, um, we are working very closely with uh, uh, DOH's Department of Health with the state of Hawaii. And uh, also uh, we are now, now starting to work together with EPA. So. You know, all these things that uh, are related to environment and um, even us as an organization when we operate, everything is connected. And, um, you know, when um, when we started looking at the water quality issues, um, you know, it became evident really fast for me personally and for our team that it's actually a bigger issue than Maui Ocean Center. So we've actually um, proposed a solution to state of Hawaii how to actually uh, address these issues more holistically, uh, which, you know, I think uh, you talk about quite a lot as well. So, uh, well, what are, the, so anyway, <coughs> what are what are some of those solutions that need to be enacted in order to improve the water quality, like just say specifically around Maui? Well, there's a lot of talk here, actually. Um, I'm sure you've heard, seen it in the news. Actually, Hawaii is the first state in the uh, nation now to ban um, uh, chemical-based uh, sunscreens, which is yeah. basically the benzoic family, which is oxybenzone and octinoxate. Uh, um, there's uh, quite a lot of body of work, uh, scientific work that has been done that actually clearly proves that uh, the chemical ingredients are very harmful uh, for the environment, uh, specifically for corals, so, um, hmm. and it really creates uh, harmful impacts there. So uh, we've actually worked behind the scenes with the uh, state of Hawaii. We went to Honolulu several times and with the Maui County Council as well. They actually attempted to ban it uh, earlier, but uh, they were uns unsuccessful. Uh, there's quite uh, heavy lobbying efforts uh, from the industry in regards to that. Um, so sunscreen is uh, one issue, but uh, if you talk to any of the environmental scientists, uh, you know, in the uh, number of threats, you know, that the near reef uh, marine ecosystems face. Actually, sunscreen is probably number seven or six down uh, on that list, uh, sedimentation being number one threat. Um, and it's quite evident here on Maui specifically, uh, uh, the agriculture now has been, commercial agriculture has now been stopped. Um, we actually, I believe we had the last sugar, uh, sugar mill here in the nation uh, that was just uh, shut down two years ago. And there was a lot of um, commercial agriculture, and as a result, the runoff has been actually tremendous. And you can see the groundwater alerts. Um, I believe last year we had, uh, was it something like 55 groundwater uh, alert days? So uh, it's quite drastic. And um, the study that we did, our environmental team did, actually 
we actually looked at the, um, the Maslow analysis and uh, we mapped everything uh, going into the Mala Harbor specifically. This is because this is where we are located. For those uh, listeners who've been to Maui, uh, this is in central Maui, uh, uh, halfway between Lahaina and uh, Mailea, the south side, and uh, in the airport. So. Um, it's beautiful bay, but unfortunately there's a lot of sedimentation and uh, it's to a point right now where a lot of the boaters there, there is um, quite substantial amount of the boats in the harbor are, are actually dive boats and uh, tour boats. So there's still a few fishing boats, uh, which used to be the main source of income in the harbor maybe 20, 30 years ago, but things have totally changed there. But uh, but a lot of these boat owners are actually complaining, even as of today, that uh, their boats are getting stuck mm. on the sedimentation, and it's really creating a problem for them. So uh, we've actually mapped uh, storm, uh, storm events, um, and we looked at the nutrients that are coming into the harbor. So it's uh, quite... Um, quite uh, impressive numbers and um, you know what I was saying earlier that um, when we went to Capitol to Honolulu to talk to Department of uh, Health uh, Clean Water Brands uh, by that time it had become very evident that uh, it's not about Maui Ocean Center and the reason we went there so that all the uh, listeners are clear we operate under NIPTES permit um, which is basically national uh, pollution discharge uh, system Um, that was uh, established by EPA back in 1972 as part of the Clean Water Act. And uh, and uh, over the years, we had had some exceedances on nutrients, mostly on NO, NO3 and NO2, which is nitrate and nitrite. Uh, and um, to me, when I came on board in 2015, this became really was an existential issue for me personally, uh, uh, because I wanted to make sure that uh, we actually lead this effort and uh, position ourselves to a position of responsibility because uh, if we indeed are a community member, you know, that is actually adding value uh, to the local community and, um, you know, the uh, marine life under our care, uh, we do not own it, uh, it's under our care. Uh, It is critical that we ensure that the um, water quality is uh, up level and we contribute to the positive water quality so uh, this is this is the reasoning uh, why i thought it was very important uh, when we went to the state of hawaii and um, i basically told our environmental team that we need to go there and offer a solution and it's not about maui ocean center so uh, uh, we ended up actually uh, you know offering uh, our solution which is basically uh, you know, offering, um, putting money on the table and saying, uh, we want to help the state of Hawaii to do TMDL, which is actually a requirement by Clean Water Act for the um, for the Bay, uh, which has never been done. And uh, uh, they actually like that approach so much that uh, they said that, well, nobody has ever come to us and offered help and, uh, and better yet even uh, wanted to put money on the table. And uh, so they said, why don't you write a watershed plan mm. and uh, present it to us and uh, uh, start putting a consortium of local stakeholders together, which we have now done. And uh, we've almost done writing the watershed plan. Uh, and uh, then uh, we'll approve it, uh, you know, if it meets our expectations. And uh, better yet, we actually want to fund it as well. So uh, That's awesome. we are 
Yeah, we are really excited about this. Uh, we are we have had a couple of meetings <clears throat> already with the steering committee, and uh, we are actually going to do the first meeting here probably first or second week of July. Um, once I get back to um, Maui and I have a little bit of time to get uh, reacclimated there and um, start actually uh, pushing that forward. And uh, so that is really a requirement in my mind that uh, the local community and the local businesses, they work together with the government, especially under the, you know, the uh, today's political climate. Uh, you know, there is a lot of funding is starting to get cut off. Uh, I've been actually going to the state of Hawaii meetings on uh, on the environmental threats. Um, you know, I'm very happy that the state of Hawaii is taking a very proactive approach on this. And, um, you know, EPA, Honolulu has had two EPA China people stationed in Honolulu, uh, you know, for some time. And uh, back in November last year, actually, I believe EPA got 1,800 uh, staff members from their staff. So it's really unfortunate that um, we are starting to see uh, these sort of trends uh, that really devalue the environmental resources. Um, because this is really the key, um, in my mind, to make sure that uh, we pay attention to these issues. Because uh, what happens What happens if the coral reefs die? Uh, actually, a few days ago, a Guardian newspaper reported that now, for the first time, Australia is starting to see a decline in tourism because of the massive coral bleaching that happened in 2016 and 17, and that still continues. So, for example, I believe the city of Cairns so are mm -hmm. starting to see a decline, uh, a substantial decline in their tourism. So I think we can all appreciate um, the impacts that it will have to local economies and uh, financial issues. And I know, James, you talk uh, quite a lot about the, you know, uh, financial aspects and, uh, you know, financial performance, and uh, when we look at our, for example, personal uh, finance, financial issues, and uh, how do we, how do we link climate change uh, to that, and uh, why should we even be concerned? And uh, to me, it's very clear that it will have impacts uh, on these issues. So yeah. I'm sorry, I kind of went on tangent there, but uh, no, no, no. So I, much to talk about here. Yeah, I appreciate your mentioning that, and yeah, and I think it's all about you know trying to manage risk, and I mean. In addition to like the local issues, um, I mean, you know, the larger issue, and you mentioned the coral reef around climate change. I mean, um, a lot of that is due to the acidification of the ocean and um, kind of the temperature uh, rise that's going on inside the ocean. I know that when we've been to Maui, especially on the kind of the south shore of Maui, um, you find plenty of bleached coral washed up on the beach. You, you find almost no shells, but you, you find a lot of bleached coral. <clears throat> is, there, is there much remaining coral in Maui? I know that you guys actually have a program to try to grow coral inside the, inside the aquarium to try to repopulate. Is that right? Or? That is correct, actually. I'm glad you brought that up. Um, you know... Um, 9-11-2015, so uh, this was the date uh, I just started about a week earlier, uh, uh, well, a week and a half, uh, in September 1 in 2015 in my position as GM, and 
9-11, I, I get to see the water temperatures on a daily basis because we measure everything. Um, and, um, you know, um, the uh, water temperature hit 85, excuse me, 85 degrees of Fahrenheit. Mm. And uh, this was an alarm uh, to me and our head curator. So um, we discussed it and we made a decision actually to fly in a seawater chiller uh, and... Um, we started chilling the water, the seawater that was coming into our coral reef building. Uh, uh, James, I believe you have been into the uh, Maui Ocean Center, yeah, so you've yeah. seen the coral uh, building we have. And this is the biggest collection of live coral in the United States. Uh, and uh, one of the main reasons why we can do this is because we have an open water system, like I mentioned earlier. Mm. We pump 1.2 million gallons of seawater into the aquarium, and like I said earlier, we also filter it. Uh, we have high-pressure sand filters, which is basically a mechanical filter that removes all the biosolids, and um, then we have a biological filter, we call it gravity filter, that basically converts NH4, which is ammonia, to NO3 and NO2, which is nitrate and nitrite, like I mentioned earlier. And uh, then we have protein skimmers, ozone generators. Uh, um, we have some other polishing uh, mechanisms as well, what we use. So the water that we are putting back into the harbor is very, very clean. But when, I, when we saw that the water temperature really started rising, uh, this really became alarm to us. And uh, as, a, as a, you know, secondary phase, we actually uh, shipped the second uh, water chiller via container uh, with a little bit less uh, carbon footprint uh, uh, to Maui. So now we actually have two. So in essence, if I wanted to say, I could um, I could kind of exaggerate and say we are, we are actually chilling the ocean water here. Of course, we are adjusting the levers, so we are making sure that the energy, uh, the cooling energy stays in the building and um, we are helping the coral uh, to stay healthy and vibrant. So, as a result, all the coral under our care, it actually did not bleach. We had a little bit bleaching in the coral tip, so, but it all returned. So, and to answer your question, um, up to 40% of the coral around in the Hawaii waters has bleached. And that condition remains today. Unfortunately, most people who come to Hawaii, they see these white uh, corals and they think they're pretty. That actually means that they're dead. Yeah. So oh, I, I don't want to shock anyone, but this is the reality of the situation. And uh, well, that's what really uh, stunned me when that's what really stunned me when we were at the uh, at the aquarium. How beautiful the live coral was, and the fact that right. there was so much life that depended upon that coral, and it really kind of drew attention to kind of the the fragility of the system because when you lose one piece of that system basically everything else starts to break down and that's kind of the canary in the coal mine it would seem absolutely and um by the anecdote what i just shared uh, what is happening at the great barrier reef uh, you know it's a clear and present danger for us uh, you know but then there are nations like uh, palau i don't know how many of your listeners know about palau and uh, what is happening there back in 2015 president tommy remenskow Gesau, i'm sorry remen Gesau, you know he actually um you know when we we're connecting or linking the financial issues with the environment he actually signed a measure into the law offering tax credits, uh, you know, for wealthy foreign investors 
who will start bringing money in that are actually having positive impacts on the environment. And this has actually worked uh, tremendously well. So single-handedly, here's a, if you look at this issue, here we have a, if I may use the term, uh, third world nation that actually has, uh, you know, uh, transformed uh, their economy um, from uh, a position of weakness into the position of, uh, you know, leadership, uh, even globally. And uh, they changed their financial ecosystem. So, you know, ecotourism is now one of the main drivers. And uh, they also, uh, you know, really uh, uh, safeguarded their environment uh, where they now have uh, very strict fines for people to poach and uh, commodify natural resources um, so um, and I always wonder and many times I wonder and when I meet with politicians who come to visit Maui and when I see them and maybe maybe I'm preaching too, too much but um, you know here if we have an example of a nation like Palau that can do amazing things like this uh, why cannot we as the you know world's you know, wealthiest nation and Hawaii specifically, you know, we really should take leadership in these issues. And we are starting to, you know, move forward into the right direction. So, you know, I think the many of the politicians here in Hawaii are starting to realize that, uh, you know, uh, if the environment goes, uh, what do we have? You know, mm-hmm. why are we any different from, you know, Caribbean or, you know, uh, Mexico, you know, as a destination, you know, what makes us really unique? And, and that's why I keep telling everyone. And uh, <clears throat> for example, when people think about aquarium, Maui Ocean Center, well, it's really like any other aquarium. No, not really, because um, we are uh, not in entertainment business. Uh, that model, as far as I'm concerned, it's obsolete. Uh, we really need to uh, change our operating model where we become so connected with the um, you know, sense of place, uh, the local community, and really advocate for these issues of environmental and conservation issues and really highlight the sense of place issues, which, um, like in the case of Hawaii, you know, talks about the Hawaiian culture and, uh, you know, what their connection to the environment was. And uh, I don't know if many of your readers have read the Hawaiian creation story. It's called Kumulipo. Uh, if people have time, Kuku uh, Kumulipo, and that's really the original creation story, if you think about uh, that. And uh, it talks about uh, Po, that's the Hawaiian term of uh, darkness, and um, how everything started from single cell organisms and coral polyp. That is the key ingredient, and people actually came after coral, so this showcases us. Uh, you know, the deep understanding that the uh, pre-contact Hawaiians had, you know, to the nature. And uh, uh, many times, I believe, we Westerners, we make the uh, mistake that we think our knowledge is superior many times to Aboriginal or indigenous uh, knowledge base. Um, You know, when we look at uh, Charles Darwin and his uh, creation of, you know, origin or the original species story, I wrote it in 1840, if I'm not mistaken, and I think there was some controversy with um, with a gentleman named Bolas as well at that time. But uh, this is fairly recently that we talked, started talking about evolutionary theory. But this knowledge has been around for a long time. So yeah. um, 
Um, and going back to the secondary question that you asked about the uh, coral work, um, you know, I've actually asked um, our corporate uh, when they offered the position of general manager for us, uh, I told them that um, one condition that uh, we get to start a 501c3 company <clears throat> or corporation, um, which they finally agreed with, and the three foundational pillars of that 501c3 is number one, we have a turtle rescue center and turtle uh, stranding uh, response team. Uh, uh, that's uh, number one. We actually work very closely with uh, NOAA on that, and we actually work under their permit. So uh, anytime there's a stranding uh, call, uh, we get the call here at uh, Maui Ocean Center. And if there is a dead turtle, we usually are the ones who call and recover it. Uh, uh, I don't want to get graphic here, but... Uh, we normally freeze the turtle and then we airship it to Fort Island uh, for those listeners who have been to Honolulu in Pearl Harbor, there's a Fort Island and NOAA has a beautiful $300 million uh, facility there that they're actually able to do a necropsy and actually do a much deeper science there uh, than we are able to do here on Maui. And uh, depending what their findings are, many times they send the uh, frozen turtle back to us and then uh, uh, we return it back to, uh, to the ocean, uh, you know, and take it in turn back into the ocean. Um, and like I mentioned, we are the tur turtle stranding responder on South Maui uh, from uh, uh, basically La Perouse Bay, close to Wailea, uh, all the way to uh, McGregor Point, which is here in uh, Malaya. Mm -hmm. We work together with the uh, University of Hawaii Maui campus very closely on that. Mm. The secondary foundational pillar, which is really much, much more important, uh, at least to me personally, is we have a coral repository, which you alluded earlier to. Uh, we work together uh, with the state of Hawaii. Uh, so they have a coral lab that they recently built, and they want to emulate this model and create a fail-safe model all across the state of Hawaii. So the Big Island will have a similar facility and Kauai will have a similar facility, uh, uh, hopefully sooner than later. Right now there's two facilities, uh, one here at the Maui Ocean Center and, uh, and one on uh, Oahu at the Coral Lab there on Sand Island. Um, they've done great work on that. And uh, we are, we've been doing coral work, work for some time and uh, Every time, for example, Army Corps of Engineers, they go to any harbor when they do in uh, uh, dredging work, usually environmental assessment is part of it. And many times there are bits um, or proposals uh, are being asked to actually remove all the rare endemic Hawaiian coral, take it for safekeeping, and once the harbor improvements have been completed, uh, and uh, replant them back there. Mm -hmm. So many times we have done actually quite many projects here in the state of Hawaii already, and um, those have been popular, and we are starting to really enlarge our our presence um, on the coral work, um, um, especially under the nonprofit side. Uh, we actually just received more thanks, and uh, any, or, any of your listeners, by the way, if uh, you are coming to Maui, uh, uh, feel free to contact me. You can reach me at MauiOceanCenter.com. My contact information is there. I'd be happy to show you about the work we are doing. This. So this is one of the benefits of uh, listening to James uh, James's, uh, uh podcast. Uh, I'd be happy to show you. And we want to be very transparent in everything we do. I, uh, and I appreciate third, that. Uh, I'm sorry? Go ahead. I appreciate that. That's awesome. Yeah, of course. That's uh, 
you know, look, it's all about community. We need to work together, you know, as an inclusive community. And uh, we need to be really transparent and we need to be held accountable for everything we do. And, uh, and you know, many times I have uh, been asked, you know, well, why are you talking about these issues and why does this matter for you? Well, my answer is, well, if it's not us, then who? Because we are the uh, marine experts, you know, and, uh, you know, we... Uh, you know, we showcase uh, the marine life uh, under our care to people. Many times people, most people don't know how to swim, well, I'm sorry, don't know how to snorkel or dive, and uh, I don't have the exact number, you know, percentage-wise, how many people know how to swim, but the waters are pretty rough here in Hawaii, so uh, people will not see all these uh, marine species uh, many times when they're in Hawaii in one place, so we are able to do that and uh, i would like to stress the fact that uh, we uh, we collect a very minimal amount around the maui so it's all endemic species and and substantial portion of them we return back to the same place as we uh, collected them and what we also do very unique when i talk about the sense of place um, we actually have a cultural practitioner um, who actually blesses all the animals when they yeah, come in that's awesome. and blesses them on the way going back uh, back out. So this is very unique, and I don't believe anyone else is doing it. No, like that, that's incredible. One, uh, you know, one of the other species that's kind of unique for Maui is um, the whales that come to breed there every uh, winter. And um, do you guys do any work with uh, the whale species that come to... Maui Harbor, I know that literally the whales are right outside your door when they're there. Yeah, yeah, they're right right there. We actually do not do any research or any anything uh, with the whales as far as going out into the water and, uh, and do any whale tours uh, during the whale season, uh, uh, which is usually from early mid-December through end of April pretty much. So, however, one exciting thing we're doing right now is... Uh, and I think there's quite a lot of stories out there already. Uh, we are we are building a fully immersive 360-degree uh, uh, dome theater mm. that will actually uh, show will show a uh, a movie. It's a whale movie. It shows actually. Imagine this. Uh, most people when they go out on the whale, whale boats, uh, if they get lucky, they they will see a whale preach. So here we have film footage that we are able to show a whale preach from underneath the water. Wow. So we started this project two years ago. We had a German filmmaker who actually has been working very closely with Noah, and he's been in the water for two whale seasons now. And what really makes this very unique, because um, many times um, if people have been to planetariums, uh, the way the planetariums have been constructed, uh, basically you take a ball, you cut it in half, and you basically put that on the concrete slab, and then people sit sit on that concrete slab um, in chairs. And uh, I've always found it personally very uncomfortable because uh, my neck muscles usually get strained after a few minutes. So, yeah. so what we've done here, we've taken that ball and we've cut one third of it off. So if you are in, inside that dome, basically the walls continue to go further down underneath the horizon. So it gets smaller, the footprint gets a little bit smaller. The second thing we have done is we have elevated the platform and cantilevered it. So it's practically in reality sitting inside in the middle of the dome. And uh, we ordered a state of law, state of the art laser projectors 
So instead of normal, you people see in planetariums maybe four or six or sometimes eight projectors. We only have two, and it has highly sophisticated algorithms. So it actually stitches the laser imaging together. And we actually previewed the film in Kiel, Germany. That's the only other place that they have shown this movie right now, or, or, or similar movie. This is actually a brand new movie that is getting developed right now. And our corporate uh, uh, management team was actually very impressed. Uh, uh, over a year and a half ago, I actually hired an uh, exhibit designer whose background has been in film and commercial advertisement uh, and exhibit design, and uh, he went to Germany in January. And when, before he went there, he was highly skeptical about this. But when he came back, he was blown away by it because he he said that uh, the whale is right in front of your face there, and uh, he would have to brush off the plankton of his arms, and it was so real. So wow. I'm really looking forward to seeing it, and I hope we can really uh, blow the uh, guests away with this experience. We are really looking forward. As you can tell, we are very excited. That's awesome. I appreciate that. I know we're getting towards the uh, the end of our time, and um, I don't want to uh, to take up too much of your time. I appreciate your uh, being able to be here and kind of talk about these different issues. Um, you mentioned it before. If somebody wants to reach out to you, how can they uh, reach you? It's very easy. Um, go to our website, um, MauiOceanCenter.com. Uh, my um, contact information is also at the, our nonprofit uh, 501c website, which is uh, mocmarineinstitute.org. Uh, my cell number is 808 uh, 561 Again, it's 808 uh, I'm reachable every day, pretty much. Uh, so I'd be happy to answer any questions, or if you're in Maui, I'll show you around and uh, about the work we are doing. Awesome. I appreciate your time, and um, we will definitely be getting together next time we uh, we get to Maui, which shouldn't be too long. So I appreciate it. Yeah, looking forward to it, and uh, thank you again for your invite, and uh, I'm honored to uh, share some of our things. There is so much to talk about, uh, but maybe later uh, if there is interest in your audience. So thank you again, James. I really appreciate it. Sounds good. Thank you.